You ready for the word this morning? Let's stand together for, for go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 18. Jeremiah, one of those great prophets, great in delivering of the word, telling the truth. He faced a generation similar to ours in that the people of God, not the heathens, the people of God, didn't want to hear it. They said, no, we really don't want to hear that. That's not the kind of message we want to hear. Just tell us stuff that makes us feel good. Tell us all is going to be well because God just favors us. That's the message they wanted to hear. And Jeremiah says, that's not what God's saying. God's saying, that'll come if you start serving him the way you're supposed to. You'll walk in his favor. But if you keep defying him, favor's not going to be on you. Well, we don't want to hear that. That's kind of the culture we're in today. Jeremiah 18. Then he, he does this correlation in this chapter between the potter and the clay he's working with and God and the people of Israel, his people, and how he's trying to work with them. So the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. I will cause you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of the clay was marred in the hand of the potter, something corrupted in it. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Father, we thank you for the transformational truth of your word revealed. Holy Spirit, reveal to us what we need to hear and give us ears to hear it, absorb it, that it becomes seed that grows and flourishes and bears great fruit in us, fruit that brings us to maturity as vessels of honor. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to show you a few things out of this passage today, a few truths that God has in, the, in this fresh word about potter's ministry that I'd like to speak to you about. When you think about it, God started out in the Garden of Eden as a potter because he took clay from the ground and he made man from clay, from dirt. Dust you've been made from, dust you'll return to. In terms of ex external, the house that we live in. So God is qualified to make us and mold us, to break us, to melt us, to mold us, to fill us. God is qualified to do that and make us what he desires for purpose because that's where we came from. We came from the clay. That's how God formed us. And if you're blessed, if you've ever begun any degree of success, if somehow you've made some achievement and some mark in our culture, if you become someone in your own eyes or someone in the eyes of those around you, you need to remember where you came from. Okay. All we are, we have to attribute to the God who made us because he put into us everything that we've become. God has made us. Because on the external, if you just take the raw elements without God breathing into us the breath of life, all we are is a glorified mud ball. That's about it. That's all we are without God. Until his spirit breathed life into you, nothing but clay. And if we are anything, it's because of God and his grace. He brought us into being. He equipped us, purposed us, 
and wrote the book of our life, which means he already punched into our DNA exactly our purpose and what we're to become. He took glorified mud and said, I can make something even out of nothing, so to speak. I like what he told Jeremiah. He said, I want you to go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear. I'm going to give you ears to hear. Sometimes we don't have ears to hear. Because notice the terminology he uses even with his prophet. I will cause you to hear my words. Sometimes people listen, and they're missing the point. Other times, they don't want to even listen. In those times when you get cold and indifferent and stubborn, God says, I have a ways and means committee that I will use to cause you to hear my voice. And he gives you an illustrated sermon on that point. And you're usually a part of the illustration. He causes you to listen up, up and until then you would not listen. But now you got my attention, Lord. I want to share a few truths from that principle today. If God's going to use you, how many want God to use you? And if God's going to use you, he will take you through a process. He'll put you through several different levels because he's the potter, you're the clay. He's the creator, you're his creation. So first, the first thing he's going to do, he's going to put you on the wheel. And the wheel represents the fact that God works in circles. Most of us want to go from the promise to the fulfillment of the prophecy, from here to here. When Jeremiah went down to the potter's house, he first observed the wheel spinning And it wasn't getting anywhere. It was just going in circles. And before God can use you, he's going to place you um, in that cycle of going around and around and around and around. And for some people in a world filled with distractions where our attention span is all of about 10 seconds, it's not exciting to do that. Israel marched around the same mountain for 40 years. They didn't do anything but go around in circles for 40 years because God was killing off that old Egyptian flesh in them when they were walking in circles. Have you ever felt like you were marching around your own mountain? (laughs) How many believe you could be a tour guide around the mountain God has you circling? Amen? Because you're not getting anywhere. Seemingly, you know God promised you something, and you're wondering, well, well, when's that going to happen? But I'm telling you, that's part of the process. Because unbeknownst to you, most of the time, he's shaping and molding, and he's melting, and he's digging out impurity, and he's re-edging the surface of that, that pot he's creating. It's part of the, You don't go from prophecy to the fulfillment of the prophecy without going onto the wheel. And that represents God's circle and how he does business with us. See, you aren't seemingly getting anywhere. You think, well, this is tedium. It's... It's worthless to me. You're doing the same thing over and over and over, and you think, I'm not getting anywhere. You're praying and reading God's word, and seemingly nothing is happening. You say, I thought if I prayed once, I'd receive the miracle, because that's what the TV preacher told me. It could happen just like that. And listen to me. It could also mean that God will allow the miracle to be progressive, and the way he works in our lives is progressively There are no elevators in the way God processes us. There are only ladders taking one step at a time. And sometimes they're incremental and they're small. But God is working to perfect the vessel he's creating 
Spurgeon, the great preacher, called it the tedious sameness. Most of our walk with God is routine. It's not all fireworks. It's not all awe-inspiring. And I love that when it happens because I was birthed spiritually in that kind of an atmosphere. I've seen God do the incredible. But between those moments of incredible came the tooling and the working and the circle. You're not going to live in the incredible all the time. Most of our walk with God is not fireworks. It's what Spurgeon called tedious sameness. And and that has a role to play and a very important part of our walk with God. Many people don't last because they only want to go to the next high and the next exciting moment, and that's all they want to live for. The power of the routine is what the potter's wheel teaches you. The word says Daniel prayed every day, three times a day. Listen to me. I love this about Daniel. Think about it. He was placed in a crisis in his 80s. This man has, has entered this, this Babylonian empire at 15 years of age as a POW. He's captured out of Israel. He's brought to the Babylonian empire. He serves three emperors in his lifespan of, of 70 plus years in Babylon. And between these great highs, these great moments where he has a word from the Lord, an interpretation of a dream, a revelation that the king absolutely had to have when also he had to pronounce judgment on one of those emperors. Listen, it was only in between those times that counted the most because he never got to have these pronouncements in these great moments of promotion without the three times a day of that tedious steadfastness of meeting the Lord every single day in that simple habit of routine. A law was passed by the king. He was duped into passing it that the nation had to worship only him and pray only to him. And he signed it in the law. And with the law of the Medes and Persians, he could not retract it once he realized he'd made the big mistake of his life because this was going to affect Daniel, his right hand man in his kingdom. And don't let anybody ever tell you you shouldn't get into the middle of politics and serve God because Daniel is the poster boy for how you can serve God in politics and do it the right way, righteous way, and literally steer a country in the right direction. He led two out of the three emperors to confess and write letters to all the empire and everybody in his em- their empire that there's only one God to serve, and it's the God Jehovah. That's success. And Daniel is now is faced with the choice. I'm either going into the lion's den, or I'm going to keep my routine of praying to one and only the Lord God Jehovah, not to the king. And he went right back to his three times a day routine. He didn't pray any more in that crisis than he did in the tedium of every single day. He didn't pray any less when he was at ease. For 70 years, it says, he prayed three times a day. He got on the wheel and he developed that consistent prayer life. I wonder how far ahead we could be if we would learn to converse with God three times a day over a lifetime, how much more wisdom we would have acquired, how many fewer mistakes we would have made. Amen? I can say there's a place that you can attain like that where you don't go crazy 
when you hear bad news. The result of Daniel's consistency in the in-betweens of promotions and highs, the results of that, Daniel is beyond reproach. There is none like him because the king pulls him out of the lion's den and says, God has truly answered your prayers. There's only one God I know that can save you out of the mouths of lions. It's your God, no other God. Because if you pray regularly, it's a part of your daily walk and habit. You don't just pray when you get in a crisis. You don't just read God's word when your friends all evaporate and you got lost your job. You just don't start being faithful to God when things start going sideways. You better have put something in the tank before you face one of those crises. Because if you get on the wheel and develop this sameness about yourself, this consistency of reading his word, and I will read the word every day. I will pray every day. I will be in church on Wednesday night. I will learn from God's word on Sunday morning and Sunday. Not because they found a spot on my x-ray, so now I'll show up and get all spiritual. But because I love the Lord. What can the devil do to somebody like that? God works in circles. Isaiah said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And watch the progression. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Soar. Notice the progression. They will run and not be weary. They start walking and they don't faint. That's kind of the reverse of how people think in the culture today. You know, people think, well, I'm starting to walk and then I'm going to run then I'm going to take off and fly. Notice he's saying, you might start out flying. You know, you're first a, a Christian. You come to know Jesus and your life has changed and you're transformed and you're excited and you're flying high like an eagle. And I just love this moment and this exhilaration of walking with God and liberty and freedom. And after a while, you kind of come down and you learn how to run this thing every single day. And then a little later on in life, you hit some seasons in some spots where you're not flying at the very high levels you once did. You're not running wide open as you once did. You're just kind of plodding along in a season that's rather dry. And you have to walk by faith because you really can't feel God like you once did. And you can't see God like you, you seem to have clarity at one time. Now you're in a season where it's just kind of muddled before you. There's no, where's God in the middle of this? But if you can get on the wheel and just have this consistent walk, you're not feeling anything, but you just walk through that season. You put one foot in front of the other. One day you're going to fly again because you've been consistent in those moments when it seems this is useless, this is worthless, this is a waste of my time. It's never a waste of your time to spend time with the Lord. For many people, as long as they're flying, they're fine. But then they crash because you're not going to stay up there forever. But the word says, he shows Jeremiah a wheel, a circle. And most of your daily Christian walk is not going to be flying high. And I love the peaks. I love the moments when God, like Daniel, brings you to a point of promotion and he uses you, and all of a sudden there's this exhilaration and this sense of reward. God, thank you because you brought me to where this place is. I could have only achieved it with you. I love ascending the mountain. I love soaring like an eagle. But most of all, it'll be a walk by faith, not by sight, where you're just going to do what God asked you to do even if you don't feel anything. Because Daniel was one of the busiest guys on the planet. He could have made every excuse that I hear people making today. But no, every single day for 70 years, he left his responsibilities 
next to the emperor of the Babylonian Empire and went and sought the face of God consistently every single day. Amen? Amen. And the word says, the potter in verse 4 made the vessel again. Evidently, he took this clay that it started to malform and he made it again. Do you know that in the biblical days, skilled craftsmen always had a second vessel in mind? That was always on their agenda. They never just took a lump of clay and began to form it. And if it didn't come out the way they wanted, they just toss it. No, they always had a second vessel in mind. If this one doesn't work, if there's some impurity in the consistency of this clay that won't allow it to be shaped this way, I will reshape it a different way. Always had a second vessel. And it's documented that the potter of biblical times would work with a lump of clay at least giving it three chances. I'm thankful my potter has given us more than three chances. Amen? Because we've all needed more than three chances. You might have wasted half your life. You might have gone ahead and married out of the will of God. You might have done something foolish, but now you see what you didn't see then. You now know I wasted time and years. But the good news is the potter doesn't throw us away. He has a second vessel in mind. Now you can't go back and be the person you once were. There are consequences to choices. You can't leave who you're with today and go back to the first one and remarry that one. No, you can't biblically do that. You can't always repair the messes you've created. Well, if I just hadn't had all these kids and, 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 and not been married when I had them and the messes and choice, Listen to me. Since you made those choices... Understand, God always has a second vessel in mind. It doesn't matter if those children arrived out of wedlock. God still has a second plan in mind, even if you messed up the first plan. Evolution takes you all the way back to animals and the kingdom of uh, microbes, and it, but God takes you further than evolutionists. He takes us simply back to the dirt from the ground that he himself created We never forget how God formed us. And when the potter gets that clay on the wheel, that clay is saying, hurry up, God, hurry up. Come on. I got to get to my destiny and I want to fulfill what you promised me. But if you could hear the potter, here's what he's saying. Yes, I would like you to go faster. Yes, I wish you would hurry up. Yes, I wish you would get to the point where I can use you like I want to, but you are stubborn and I've got to keep working you. I'm glad that it's not the clay that has its foot on the wheel. The potter knows that if the wheel turns too fast, the clay will splatter against the wall. If the wheel turns too slowly, the clay will slump back down into a heap. The potter knows exactly how fast to take you from where you are to where you're supposed to be. But we get impatient because we are a microwave generation serving a crock-pot God. Amen. And you're yelling, hurry up, God! Come on, hurry up, hurry up. Give me my ministry. Give me my career. Give me that person in my life. Come on, Lord! And God's saying, I've got you on the wheel. And when I know you're ready, when you get near the point I can finish, then things are going to speed up. But I don't want you to get ahead of yourself and splatter on the wall like all too many have. When I get finished with you, you'll be able to contain my glory. 
when I get finished with you, you'll be able to pour out my anointing upon hurting people. So you trust God with the timing. Quit saying that nothing is happening. If you're submitted to God, if he is your potter, he knows how fast to move the wheel to get you where you need to be. Secondly, the potter takes the mud off the wheel. The next thing he does, you go into the fire. God puts you into the heat. And he fires up the furnace. And you have to be broken and melted and molded. And on five separate occasions, the Pharaoh of Egypt was told to let God's people go. The scripture also documents, but he hardened his heart because the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. And sometimes God will send you into a meltdown. Everything begins to fall apart. Financial dilemma, work problem, family stresses. Everything starts to unravel around you, and you're in the furnace. You're saved. You love the Lord. Now watch, life is not doing what you want to do. Life is doing what you ought to do, what God fashioned you to do. Because this is not about me, nor about my kingdom. This is about his kingdom, and his righteousness, and his will. And my job is to get into the position where he can use me to get his kingdom built, not mine. Our impatience is like this. Well, God, this is what I want. This is what I want to go to do. And this is why I need to go do it right now. And God's saying, no, I'm going to use you to build. This is all about my kingdom. I'm the creator. You're here to serve me. Thus, Jesus puts it like this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all this other stuff about you, I'll take care of it for you. In the meantime, your business is to be sure you're helping me build my kingdom. Life is doing what you ought to do. God wants to move us out of feelings to faith, from impulse to dedication, from infancy to maturity. And you say, God use you. God, use me. God, help me. God, I want to be. Listen, I promise you, if you get into the position as a vessel where God can use you, he just won't use you. He'll squeeze everything you got out of you. I'm so tired of people saying, use me, Lord, but are unsurrendered. He can't use you unsurrendered. If he isn't using you, it's because he can't trust you yet. He's got to be sure that that vessel is going to, that contains his glory, is not going to do the wrong thing with this. And if he ever gets a vessel he can use, he doesn't just use you. He'll use you as much as you desire. And it's for his glory and his honor that you get to be a carrier as an instrument of God, of his blessing to others. You're not there yet. You have to stay on the wheel until the potter says, now you're ready. Judas was only 51 days away from having his name inscribed on the foundations of the city, not made with hands. If he would have held on through the fire, through the test, through the persecution, through the fact that he's being tempted in the middle of this, 51 more days, 1,224 more hours, his name, the word says, the names of the 12 apostles are written on the 12 foundations of the city called New Jerusalem. And if he'd held on 1,224 more hours, 51 more days, he would have had his name in one of the foundations of the New Jerusalem. Don't give up. No matter how severe the heat gets, stay in the position where God has placed you. I don't care if you're in a meltdown. Hold on to what God has promised you and submit yourself to his will. 
This is, this is the reason for the test, the reason for the wheel, the reason for the furnace, the reason for all of these processes is because he wants us to submit to his will. And things may be going crazy around you right now, but trust the Lord, he will bring it to pass. Sometimes horrible things happen in this process in life. It happens again and again, and that's because you're on the wheel. When those of you that have ever purchased a cultured pearl, you'll remember that a pearl, a cultured pearl, is a tribute to a conquered irritant. The oyster at the bottom of the ocean is doing what God created it to do because the oyster is obedient to what God created it for. An oyster is one of the vacuum sweepers of the bottom of the ocean. He's cleaning up the bottom. He does exactly what God's created him to do, fulfilling God's perfect will for the oyster's life. In the process of filtering the seawater, occasionally it picks up a grain of sand and it doesn't get blown out. It gets stuck inside of that shell. You know what that oyster does with that irritant? That grain of sand is lodged in that oyster and it's irritating it. The oyster could say, well, I've been so mistreated and I've been in the will of God and this is what's happened to me. And now look at what, why me, Lord? But instead the oyster makes something beautiful and valuable out of the irritant and sends a coat coating around that annoying grain of sand that keeps it smooth edged and it keeps rubbing and irritating that oyster. But he makes something valuable and useful and beautiful out of that irritant that disturbed him. And he just keeps going on about his assignment, even with that irritant present inside the shell. So let me preach to you what I've been trying to get to. There will always be some kind of irritant in your walk with God, always. And I want to give you a little revelation here. When you make it to heaven and you step into the position where you can look at the new Jerusalem before it descends from heaven, from God, down to earth, to step inside that city where there is no weeping or sorrow or pain, you're going to have to enter into that city through one of 12 gates, all made of pearl. Each gate is made of one pearl. The walls of the city are 1,500 miles high. I want to see that oyster. The size of that gate. Didn't that oyster have a serious problem? When we pass through the gates of that city, we'll be passing through conquered problems. When we pass through those gates, we'll shout, I've conquered my last problem. That's why the gates are made of pearl. And once you make it through the pearly gates, there will be no more problems. All of life's irritations will have ended. That's why you ought to go, well, okay, God. That's why you might as well start forgiving, go on and love people, go on and get over it, go on and say, I'm sorry, because you don't need to walk around letting irritants keep you from God's perfect plan. And thirdly, the potter will melt and mold you. I was reading from an author the other day, and he was talking a little bit about forgiveness and the topic of forgiveness. Let me quote a couple of sentences from what he wrote. 
He said, if you really want reconciliation with a brother or sister who has wronged you, anyone in life you want to be reconciled with, if you don't desire, by the way, he said, reconciliation, you need to go to the altar and pray. And then he goes on to say, you must be willing to take 100% of the blame if you want reconciliation between people who are separated. And then he gives an example from Isaiah 53. Speaking of Jesus, it says, he blamed himself for my sins. In other words, Jesus took my blame. He said, I was, even though I was at fault, humanity, I, human being, was at fault. But Jesus said, I take the blame for him 100%. That brought reconciliation, he says, between man and God, end quote. There are times when God will allow a situation where you have to take all the blame. And you're gritting your teeth, and you want to tell them what for, because you know they've been crazy, right? He said, if you want reconciliation, look him or her right in the eye and say, I take the blame. It's on me. Jesus took my blame. Say, but they're going to get away with it if I do that. No, they won't, because I've lived long enough to discover no one gets away with anything. Sooner or later, you will pay up, and you will have a choice. You can get on the potter's wheel, or you can end up in the potter's field. The word says that Judas hung himself in the potter's field. What's the potter's field, pastor? The potter's field is the place where after the potter tries and tries and tries to make something good come out of that vessel. But the vessel refuses to cooperate. See, it wasn't the potter's hands. He was willing. Nor was it the wheel. It was perfect. It was willing. It's up to the clay to yield to the process. But if it won't yield, then the potter takes the vessel and throws it out behind his shop into the field where it breaks into pieces. That's called the potter's field. Read the word. It says that Judas went and hanged himself on a tree in the potter's field. So either get on the potter's wheel or end up in the potter's field useless. And once the clay comes off the wheel and he's made a vessel, well, now he's going to, he's, now, now watch what I'm going to do. The vessel comes out of the fire, then the potter sets the vessel on a shelf. And they do something they call curing it. They cure the vessel. Because you can't be used until God shelves you for a while. He just puts you in an insignificant spot. And nobody walking around notices you. God just parks you. It says in Luke 21, like this, by your patience, possess your souls. So he places you on a shelf. Why does God park us? I mean, you, I finally cooperated and you got shaped me the way you finally wanted to because he wants us to see what we're going to do. God wants us to see and God wants to see what we're going to do, how we're going to react. He shelves us because he wants to see if you're going to start blaming everybody else for the fact that you're on the shelf. I've got all this talent and pastor isn't using me or I can do this and I can do that, and no one's giving me a chance. If you're on the shelf, listen, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God knows exactly where I am. If, he's a vessel, if I'm a vessel and he's created me the way he wants, and if I'm praying and I'm seeking God, I'm calling on him, he knows where I am. If I'm on the shelf, he knows where I am. 
The pastor may not know who I am, but God knows who I am, where I am, and what time I'm supposed to come off the shelf. Because your gift will make room for you. So you have to just sit there and cure a little while until God's test. Is this going to be a vessel I can use who's not kicking and screaming at me all the time but cooperates with what my agenda is because it's about my kingdom, not yours? George Danzing is one of the world's leading mathematicians Graduated from Stanford University out here, and he had, like many students do, before his final exam in his senior year, he decided to have an all-night study session. I, for the life of me, don't know why everybody does that, or a lot of people do that. I hate that. So I would always do all my my note-taking and everything and have everything locked in so the night before the test, I could sleep and rest. So I'd be fresh for the test, like, you know what I'm saying? A lot of these people, they want to stay up all night. And unfortunately, a lot of them make the same mistake he did. He went to sleep the night before his final exam, before graduation. He's 30 minutes late to class for his test. Everybody else has already begun the, the exam. So he finally sits down to start the exam. The professor, professor walks over, doesn't say a word, and just slaps the test in front of him. And the clock is already ticking 30 minutes into the class session. And he looks up, and the professor points him to the blackboard. There are three additional problems that are written on the board. And, and, and this student, he just works, dancing, just works and works and works. And he finishes the exam before the class is dismissed. And he jumps up, and he looks at the three problems on the blackboard. And as he's working his way, trying to work his way through them, the class signals it's over. So this exhausted student, Danzing, walks up and lays the exam down in front of the professor and says, sir, I'm sorry. I fell asleep studying last night, and and I could have probably completed the last problem on the board if I'd have had a little more time, but that's on me because I came 30 minutes late. I finished two of them. And the professor looked at him and just kind of smiled a little bit, collected the exam, Danzing goes back to his dorm room, and he just crashes, man. He just totally wiped out, falls asleep. And he's snoozing a couple of hours, and he's awake and startled because someone's banging on his door of his dorm. He said, who is it? And he said, it's your professor. So he opens the door. The professor looks at him and says, Danzing, is this your exam? And he says, yes, sir, it is. He said, you solved two of the problems that were on the blackboard. Well, I told you, I think I could have solved the last one, too, if I'd have had more time. I'm sorry, I didn't get to the last one. He said, Danzing, before you came into the class, I told those that were on time, you weren't there, that these problems on the blackboard, Albert Einstein could not solve them. And it was a joke. He said, it was a joke that I was playing on the class. If anybody could solve one of them, you'd get an A-plus on the final exam. You solved two of them. The reason he did, because no one ever told him he couldn't. If God has told you you can do something, don't allow the negative voices of people to tell you that you can't. 
If God is your potter, he knows how to make you into what he wants you to be and equip you to do what he wants you to do. God's infinitely limitless. And Paul in his writings speaks of vessels of wrath endured with such long-suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Vessels of wrath that Paul speaks about are the cracked vessels. And this is what the biblical historians have told us. I'm so grateful that some of the people who wrote just as historians, as, as people that were observant of the times and the customs, and this is what they say. When a vessel started to crack and fluid began to leak out of it because it couldn't hold liquid any longer, there was only one cure for it in those days when this all was put together that we're reading today. See, there were huge groups of mosquitoes that would follow the sacrificial bullocks. And those mosquitoes, very unique to that part of the Mediterranean and the Middle East, would follow the bullocks that were getting ready to be sacrificed and hang around that area. And then those mosquitoes and their swarms were being followed by potters. And they would grab bunches of those mosquitoes in their swarms and use some handmade nets that they made to capture as many mosquitoes as possible as they were following the bullocks around. Then they would get them back into the place where they worked. And they would take these mosquitoes and they would squeeze them in mass. And they said that the only thing that could seal the leaks of the cracked vessels, they were called vessels of wrath. Cracked vessels were called vessels of wrath. Was the blood and the substance of those squeezed mosquitoes. I want to say to you, the only thing that can seal the leak and heal the cuts and the hurts and the fractures of life is the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. He can take a vessel of wrath, a cracked vessel, and apply his blood and heal every fracture in it. Thank the Lord. There's a lot of healed cracks in our lives. Then the leaks are gone. And suddenly the scripture calls you now. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. They've had some cracks in them. Some imperfections in them. But now they're healed because we've been on the potter's wheel. And he's applied the blood to the fractures. I don't know about you, but I want to be a vessel that God can use in these last days. And some of us have been on the potter's wheel, and sometimes you go back on the potter's wheel. I've had seasons in my life when it seemed like it was going around in circles and no progress seems to be discernible. It seemed like nothing's happening, but you're going through the process and you're continuing to be consistent and faithful. And none of my God-given dreams at the time in that season, God, when's this going to come? I'm telling you, if you'll stay steady and hold to God and be faithful doing what you know to do, the routine, the blessed sameness, you keep doing it over and over and over. You keep reading the word. You keep praying. Even through times when you don't feel God, nothing seems to happen. You stay on the wheel. It's a matter of time for God promotes you and you get to soar again. Just a little time before God takes you down off the shelf pulls you out of the fire before the meltdown is over and said, I needed to break you and melt you and mold you 
so I can fill you. Now you're ready for me to use, and God will get glory out of your vessel. Praise the Lord. Come on, stand and bless the master pot.